0: I spent so long trying to figure out ways to not have to think about my hair. So, you know, I spent all of high school and the beginning of college with my hair in braids Um, because braids, you you get them. I mean, you spend six hours the day you get them, but then you spend a month having to do
1: nothing.
0: Nothing. (laughs) And it's amazing. And I can just roll out of bed and walk, go, you know, go wherever I want to. My (laughs) hair is already done. I don't have to think about it.
1: going to start off season two but hello everyone welcome to the michael fernanda project season two spring of 2020 we're here season two opener with jordan boatman an infamous <laughs> an infamous actress um and a dear friend jordan can you introduce yourself okay uh my name is jordan boatman i'm
0: 23 i use she her hers pronouns and i am an african-american woman obviously incredible she, her, hers. yes Jordan where did you grow up um I grew up for the most part in Ossining New York I was born in Los Angeles but we moved and I grew up in Ossining did you like it I did I mean I think <laughs> no kid likes where they're growing up when they're growing up everybody wishes they were somewhere you know I feel like mm. my I have uh three younger siblings and they are right now always talking about like it's so boring and there's nothing to do but I think everybody feels that way when they are 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, but I think it was a great place to grow up. And um, at the time, I you know, I made great friends and I, I loved being close to the city, but not in the city. It was great. It was a good place to grow up. Yeah.
1: Lovely. And then yeah. can you explain like the demographics of Austin a little bit? Um. Well, so it's pretty,
0: I, I always felt like it was pretty diverse, especially considering or compared to the rest of Westchester, I think Westchester has a reputation for being um, a largely white area, but that's also because it has a reputation for being a largely wealthy area. So people don't expect there to be um, people of color when you're thinking of areas like that. But Austin specifically is is pretty diverse. We have a large Hispanic population um, and a, a very large Hispanic population and a large African American population as well i i i mean there was definitely more white people there's uh, but I always felt like there were people like me around that could look around and see another a brown person or a black person and like i I think when I was younger i think it as I got into high school there was definitely more of um a meld when you're younger i mean for the way that our elementary schools worked is you're in one, and most elementary schools, I think, you're in one class. And so it's just um, just the people in those classes. And when it was at that point in my upbringing, it was a lot of, it was mainly white people in my class. I mean, there would be, you know, maybe two black people and a few uh, Hispanic people. But it was, if it was a class of you know 25, it was 18 white people. I mean, I always, I got the Oreo comments and things like that. Um, Oreo comments. Being, you know, somebody saying that I'm an Oreo, which would be white on the inside, black on the outside, um, which is always a term that I've really struggled with. And I think that people have different opinion, opinions about it. For me, it's just <laughs> because white on the inside, black on the outside implies that, you know, because I, for what it was, was that because I speak with, proper grammar most of the time or try to (laughs) Um, uh, and you know because I don't because I live in a certain place that I'm that that makes me white and I'm like well why why can't I speak with proper grammar and still be black because the assumption is that black people don't speak correctly or black people aren't smart black people aren't and I'm like that's well okay so I never took kindly to that um, nomenclature and I think that some people I mean I think that some people recognize it as just a joke or just playing around and I I think that terminology like that is should be taken for what it is um which is a degradation of of my culture and of who I am because I'm not I'm I'm black so there's no I am as smart as I am as a black woman I speak the way I am as a black woman there is no white inside you know it doesn't that it just doesn't make sense to me and even as a kid I was like that doesn't that doesn't sound right. Does that sound right to you? And I remember one time I was, I had some friends over and at my house, and we were all on the trail, we had a trampoline. At the time, we were all sitting on the trampoline, and one of my friends was like, "Oh, you talk like a white person." I was like, "Well, yeah, but let's let's Why do you think that I talk like a white person? How does a white person speak? How does a quote unquote black person, you know, how do we speak? That I'm supposed to be speaking in a different way? Am I supposed to, you know? And then, of course, when you confront people with their own um, incorrect opinions
1: Ignorance
0: Yes, with their own ignorance They're unable to, you know My friend was like, uh, well, you know I thought, You know what I mean I'm like, well, no, but what, what do you mean? If you know what you mean, you should be able to articulate it to me and and mm. speak it through and see the truth or lack of truth in what you're saying
1: Tell me the two plays, professional plays, you've mm-hmm. been in. Sure.
0: I was in a play called The Niceties by Eleanor Burgess um, at the Huntington Theater, Manhattan Theater Club, McCarter Theater Center, and the Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles. I have to get all those. Thank you. Um, and then right now, I am in Medea at the Brooklyn Academy
1: of Music. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really interested in this concept of typecasting. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I want to understand your perspective of typecasting and maybe how that ties into or weeds into your growing up, um, and these comments that were said to you about the way you speak, mm-hmm. and even deeper, like because of that, do you feel a pressure to play up your blackness or mm-hmm. play down your blackness to get certain roles? Yeah. Um,
0: I I, I look at acting and and auditioning and, and going in for roles and that I think I have a fairly pragmatic stance about it. I I look at it as I'm looking at a character and any character that I play is going to be black. There's nothing that I can do about that. That's just baseline. Any character that I'm playing is a black person. So for me, it's less about playing up or playing down my blackness because I, I don't know that I would know how to do that. Um, it's just I really just focus on who this person is that is, is written on this piece of paper? And how do I bring this person to life? Whether or not they're black is a given. And the question of how black is someone or how black is this character would just, you know, that really goes into what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be black? So, and it goes back to the, the question of how I speak, I guess, is, you know, does this person and how a character speaks is written on the page. So, but do they have, if they have a, a lack of correct grammar, does that make them blacker? I, you know, I don't think, I don't. I just don't think about it that way. Um, so I'm more focused when I look at a character on who the person is and how, you know, what stories they have to tell and what where they've come from. When I think about playing it up or playing it down, you know, if you're looking at a character who's more quote unquote ghetto, you know, does that make her blacker? Because she's from, is she from a low-income area? And that makes her blacker. Like, I don't, I don't, that question is hard for me to tackle, I think. And it would be, it is just easier and better. I think people are developed by their experiences, by who they are. They are, I was born black, but that's only, um, that's defined by this society, by this country, by, you know, it has so many things weighing on it that are out of my control. Mm. Um, but I'm a black woman First and foremost, all the time because that's the first—you know—that's the first thing that walks into the room when I walk into the room. You see a black person. I feel like, especially in this country and this political climate, the first thing that walks in when I walk in a room is, is my blackness. I think that's what people see. Okay, um, tell me really it? quickly uh-huh.
1: about like one what the play is about, and then tell me what it was like being the only black person in the room. Okay,
0: uh, the Niceties is—it's uh, a play about two women. Um, a history teacher and her student. And the student writes a paper uh, saying that the American Revolution wouldn't have been possible without black people. It was only successful because of um, the slaves, because of black people. And the history teacher disagrees. And they then get into a larger conversation, one about that paper, but two about uh, black history and its role in American culture and American history and um, black people in the role that they've played themselves. And then, you know, it gets into a heated conversation at some points. It was also my first professional play. Um And so I, and we started rehearsal for that in August. So it was also on top of one, I didn't know that I'd be the only black person in the room going in, but I did know that I was probably going to be the youngest person in the room, the Greenest person in the room. Greenest. Um, green, you know, being that it was fresh. green, yeah, fresh and right out of school and not having done any other professional productions. So there was that, and then you get there, and of course, I think most black people have this. You know, you walk into a room and you look around, and you're like, oh, okay, oh, okay, cool, 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 just me. That's fine. I mean, and you're used to it. Like I'm used to it. I'm, yes. I've been the only black person in the room. Many times, and I will be many times again. Um, But you're aware, and then you're especially aware when you're talking about a play that is focused on the role of Black people in this country. Which and it's a conversation that is not that's not had and publicly that's not had uh, as vocally and as loudly as these two women were able to have this conversation. Um, Our my director Kimberly Senior was very. I think very good at making not making it feel like it was all weighing on me, like I had, you know, mm. Kimberly is white or black? Kimberly is um, white, not yes. So Kimberly is white. Everybody, director. she's the director of the Nice Who wrote it? Eleanor Burgess.
1: A white person or a black yes,
0: she's Jewish.
1: That's really interesting. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, and it and it's and people, people are always surprised that it's not that it wasn't written by a black person. Because she tells she did such a wonderful, wonderful job um, articulating both sides of the of the argument for yeah. my character Zoe and for Lisa Baines' character um, Janine, the love of my life, Lisa Baines. <laughs> um, and so I was, but I was in this room with Kimberly Senior, who is this hugely accomplished director, um, and Lisa Baines, who is this hugely accomplished actress. Um, and Eleanor Burgess, who I just think is a genius. I mean, she wrote this fantastic play, in which I Jordan had so could feel so many of my opinions being shared. Um,
1: okay, so what's yeah. that like? Right, so a white person wrote this play,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you being Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. You felt like you could feel so much of what she was saying. Like, mm-hmm. was that that must be kind of interesting? That like she can articulate. Yeah, your I mean. Feelings.
0: Uh, I mean, she's okay. So Eleanor is a historian; she was a history teacher, um, and so she. It just comes from it comes from knowledge. I mean, she has so much knowledge. She's so 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 smart. I cannot, I cannot stress that enough. And so I, I learned so much. I mean, the so, the premise of of Zoe, who is my was my character in the Niceties. The premise of her argument is that um, because black people at the time were obviously enslaved um, and so oppressed, it allowed for there to be a division. And okay, I also have did this was a year ago that I did this play. So it's been a little bit of time since (laughs) I've had all of the facts (laughs) on the forefront of my brain. But (laughs) basically, you know, at the time, white people, even poor white people were able to feel like they were above someone. So they didn't feel like they had to revolt. The reason that the revolution was so was able to be successful was because white people were able to band together against this other entity. Um, and in any other situation, if there hadn't been the slaves there, the poor white people would have turned around and been like, "Oh wait, hold on this isn't, this isn't great for us because we're still down here without any money we're, you know mm-hmm. we're still disenfranchised. Um, but because there were i mean this is a, a layman's term. Uh, abbreviation of this of the premise but because there were black people because the slaves were there they were still able to have some form of hierarchy they were not at the bottom of the food chain and so it was able to just um, facilitate a little bit more uh, peace between you know Mm -hmm. the white factions of, of society at that time when I when I was starting that play when I was starting doing rehearsal I would I remember I went to a doctor's appointment and my doctor was asking me about the play and I told her and I said, you know, that black people are the reason for the success of the American Revolution. And she said, oh, you mean the Civil War? I said, no, I mean the American Revolution because, I mean, people don't think black Black people have been here for, you know, not forever, but for a very long time. We built this country. Um, our influence is long-reaching. And people don't think about it that way. I I thought it was so funny that she immediately went to the Civil War, which, of course, is the war that was about slavery and um, where slavery was center stage. But that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what we were talking about. I had never, I had never, it had never occurred to me to even think about it that way. And when I read the play and I was doing all this research, I was like, oh, no, 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 this makes sense. Black people, yet again, here's another situation where we were key to the success of this huge movement um, and I just don't think that people so black people are counted out all the time you know and they are forgotten the impact that we've had um so it being in that so yes yeah, so you know that it was written by that the play was written by a white woman confused or gave people pause when they realized that because I think you just assume that that the only person that could tell that story and uh, now look, obviously I think that black people should be telling their stories, but uh, I think that she, Eleanor is so, I mean, I think that it it says so much that a white person is able to, you know, if you do your research, if you read, if you can be informed, she told this story beautifully so well and in a way that nobody else could have. And it made perfect sense. I mean, I would sit in the room and she was so, she was always so willing to listen to both of our takes and both of our opinions on what was going on. It was, there was always a conversation, one about the larger things that were happening in the world around us as we were doing this play, but also about the history and about um, any questions that we had, she, you know, was happy to answer. And if we had um, qualms, not that I ever really had qualms because she was, it was so well researched and so... Um, well articulated, but she she wanted to listen. It was very much a conversation, um, between the four of us. It was we were we were very much a team. It was a mm. I was
1: very 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 lucky to be there. For sure, so, that's awesome. And I saw that play; and it was phenomenal. So, what you just said, like, will get backlash. Like, what? there will be people who will confront what you're saying. Where it's like you said, this play couldn't have been written better by anyone else. No, I don't, I mean,
0: no, this play was Eleanor Burgess's play and it came from her life experience and her mind and her heart. No, I don't think, no, no one else could have written The Niceties Better Than Eleanor Burgess. That's, and if a black person wrote that play, it would be a different play. This play was written by this woman and that's the person that needed to tell that story Um I'm not saying that a, a black person could have written a similar story and also have been wonderful, but it wouldn't have been the niceties that came from Eleanor. That was Eleanor's brainchild. That's and that's I, that's the only place it could have come from. Yeah.
1: So, what's the significance of a play like that being written by a white person?
0: I mean, I think the significance of the play itself—it was just because when you know the play ends up with these two women in a fairly heated argument. And they're really, they were both, they're two smart, brilliant, bright characters. So they were both well-informed in what they were talking about. Um, And they were able to say things that I don't think people, if you were having a real conversation that you would feel comfortable saying. Because, you know, you have to remember, it's a play, it's an elevated situation. You're up there on a stage and not in your living room talking about um, a friend, but the two characters are able to put aside uh, the ability, the the concern that they're hurting, you know, the other person. And I think in common conversation, we're worried about, especially today, we're so worried about being politically correct and worried about um, not offending other people. And, and I think that if we were able, if two people are able to sit down and have a conversation and just understand that neither person is trying to offend, neither person is coming into it with malicious intent, and then say, you know, ask your questions, say your true thoughts, say the things that you're actually thinking, not the filtered thoughts that you can let out because you're like, okay, that's appropriate, that's acceptable, that's that will be accepted. Um, I think we would have, we would get a little further, we could meet each other in the middle because, um, you know, I think we have conversations and you have a question that maybe could get you further down the road, but you don't ask it because you're afraid that you'll offend the other person, that you're afraid the other person won't understand or they'll take it the wrong way. Um, But if we felt a little more free to just say what we, what we're feeling, I mean, and again, you have to be coming at it from without a malicious intent. You have to really have, people have questions. Not everything that offends someone was meant to, was meant to do that. It was sometimes it's really just a a true question. And If you could, if people could answer, if people could talk to each other without fear of um, retribution, I I think we would be able to meet each other in the middle a little better, if Mm. that makes sense. If you have a good relationship with someone and you are able to sit down and have tough conversations and open up your experience and they open up theirs, you can find the similarities and then figure out. You know what? How the differences got you to where you are. Um, so I, 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 strive at least to live my life that way.
1: I like that a lot. <laughs> Let's start growing up. Like, what was your relationship like with your hair? Um, I think I've always had a
0: bit of a contentious relationship with my hair. I mean, growing up in Ossining, in Westchester, I think, um, the, the norm or what was seen as beautiful or pretty or cute or hot was, you know, straight hair was long hair was white hair. Um, so that I think. I had that on one side, but the other thing, the, the real thing about me that I've realized as I've gotten older is I'm very, I'm very much about the thing that allows there's the less the least amount of work. I don't, you know, I don't wear a lot of in the profession that I'm in. I wear a lot of makeup when I'm working, so I don't wear makeup very often when I'm, you know, just out in normal life. I don't, and I like my hair to be as, I don't like to have to think about my hair. And I think I lamented when I was younger how much I had to think about my hair. My hair was a constant thought, you know, and it, and it was, it required so much more work than my friend's hair did. Even if at the time, even if when when I was younger, I wasn't the one doing it, you know, you're getting your hair done or my mom was doing my hair for, um, you know a long time and and but it took time it took time away from other things that i would rather be doing and i think that that was really that was really hard for me to to make my peace with um and i've come a long way i think now but even still i'm I, I i i spent so long trying to figure out ways to not have to think about my hair so you know i spent all of high school in the beginning of college with my hair in braids. Um, Because braids, you you get them. I mean, you spend six hours the day you get them, but then you spend a month having to do
1: nothing. Nothing.
0: (laughs) And it's amazing. And I can just roll out of bed and walk, go, you know, go wherever I want to. My (laughs) hair is already done. I don't have to think about it. Um, And so when I, when I, the first time I got braids, I was like, what, this is... (laughs) This seems to be like what I need to be doing. Um, And I think for me, when I was little, I know that for me, it was always about having something to throw around. Uh, I like, I like, I mean, you know, (laughs) white girls can throw their hair over their shoulder, white girls can flip their hair, and that was, that looked fun. That looked like the thing that, you know, so I remember like when I was really little, my, not even really little, probably till I was you know 10 11 12 my mom you know when you started getting beads in your hair and i was like oh my god my hair moves look at this swing it around that that was amazing that was i mean that was i was like this is this is it this is it and then you know beads kind of you gotta face those All out happened. you gotta face those out because those are it's for We're little children. girls yes <laughs> whatever um but then I you know, and then you figure out you can get the braids without them, and you can get extent, and then you figure out you can get extensions Ooh. in your braids. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, my hair can move and it can be long. This is it. Um, so I had braids for, and I have <laughs> I have braids right now actually for work, um, and it's funnily enough I have very very long braids that are. Down my back, and they're so they're beautiful. they look beautiful, and I you know they wanted them for the play so that I could for my specific hairstyle.
1: Let's explain that real quickly. How do they tell you that they want you to have a certain hairstyle? and then, like you're telling me that you have had and kind of still have this complicated relationship with your hair? like mm-hmm. are you ever hesitant to be like oh God, like what, what what do they want me to do? I mean, time?
0: absolutely, like, I was very apprehensive, so with the niceties when I auditioned for the play, my hair was in braids because it was summer, and I was going on vacation or something and And then they were... that, So that was the way that they first saw me. Um, And so that was just the style that we went with um, for the show. For this, when I auditioned, my hair was out, was natural, um, which is how I've been wearing my hair for the past couple of years. And so a lot of the time in your contract, it'll say, you know, you have to keep your hair the way that it was at your audition, unless Mm -hmm. they change their mind or, you know, decide they want something else. So when I... When we first started talking about what they wanted for my hair, my hair was still out and I was like I was I was stressed that they would say we just want it like this. Like this is this is great because they that was for a little bit they were thinking that they were just going to have it out. Um and I was like, well that is so much. I told them I was like, uh, you know, I whatever you want to do, whatever you guys decide is fine. But <laughs> every style of my hair comes with some caveat and this one being if it's out, that's a lot of work for me, outside of coming to work and doing the play, that also means that every night when I go home, I'm going to have to twist my hair up or I'm going to have to, you know, you know, pineapple it or do whatever the maintenance is for that night. It's just more work than say braids, which means, you know, we have, yes, there's a day where I have to spend all day and probably miss a rehearsal to get my hair braided. But for me, it means that I get to go home at night and just go to bed and I get to wake up in the morning and just wake up and go. Um, so while I'm working it. At- it it that also you know that was that was a stress of mine that I would have that they would say yeah we're going to just have your hair out and and also that for a play you know you're playing a character so once they decide what your look is going to be you want to get something very similar to that every night cuz the character is supposed to you're playing you know the same character okay. every night so i was like uh it's very stressful for me to have to think that i'm going to have to get my hair in this one style of a twist out or one style of a whatever we decide that it's gonna be the same way every night no- that's it's impossible actually it's never gonna happen like it's never gonna look if it's on it's it's upon me if it's left if I'm left to my devices to make it happen, it's gonna look different yeah. most days. <laughs> so you guys should also be aware of that um and then they came to the decision that they were gonna um that we were gonna braid it, which and so part of me was like. Uh, part of me was relieved because it Mm. it meant less work and then there's another part of me that's like well I've now done two professional plays with braids so am I now the girl that has braids am I now always going to be the girl that has braids I mean because both of the I've done two um, small appearances on tv shows and in both of those my hair was straight Um, Mm. and that was a choice that I made um so I, I why'd you make that choice? Because there's a part of me that thinks that straight hair I mean, and it's which is I think it's a part of me that is supported by our society that straight hair is more palatable, straight hair is more um acceptable. And when you go when you go into an audition, I think that, you know, they're looking at they don't wanna have to visualize all this extra other work that they're gonna have to do. So you when I go into an audition, you wanna go in as you know, looking the way that they're gonna see you look as the character. Um, so when I go in for TV, and it's also about how I want to be perceived and how I want to be shown. You know, on TV, I'm like, well, these you can look back at this. People will be able to look back at this as I go along in my career and see this girl at 22, 20, whatever, and my hair is straight. It's more acceptable. It's it's it seems and it because it's more. Like white people, when my hair is straight, it's it's a style that white people, I think, can easily understand because it looks like theirs, and you know, it can go up, it can go down, you can do whatever you want, you know. That it seems more easily worked with, and when you're working on TV sets, for the most part, you know, I did one one the first time I was working, the wig and makeup people, hair and makeup people, were white. The second time they were black, but even still beforehand i had gotten my hair straightened. and i'd gotten my hair done it was done and it looked you know finished like it was the finished product so i i arrived with my hair already done because i don't want to have to figure that out i don't want to have to take time and and one figure it out Two stress about not you not knowing what to do with my hair or you doing something crazy with my hair because you don't have because you don't know how to how to deal with it
1: As a tidbit, I um for our senior musical, um you know we did hairspray, right? And I I did hairspray in high school. Yeah, so fun, right? (laughs) Everybody Uh, does hairspray in high school. Yeah, I mean it was hairspray. Maybe it was something else. I think it was hairspray. Um, but anywho, I. I don't even think I go to see, it, but it'll come back around. So we were doing a play in. I'm sorry, I hate this. We were doing a play in high school. It was my senior year, our senior play, mm-hmm. right? And I was an athlete. I was in basketball team, so yeah. already I was like, this is out of my comfort zone. But like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it, right? right. And I was. You went to all the rehearsals and all the things. I didn't have a big part, like nothing like that. She's upset because I didn't tell her. I was what? In it. Yeah. okay what? But Ever I did that. In so- a play? Okay, I literally Sorry, got I'm down. Sorry, I'm gonna kill you later. What? I literally, okay, I got to like the first couple weeks, and then boom, it's the hair, makeup, costume, like <laughs> sh- shenanigans stuff. And like, <laughs> shenanigans? <laughs> like, oh, no, shenanigans, you know, time. It's just like not my thing. Shenanigans is fine. Shenanigans, great. So I'm sitting there. And they're talking about, you know, how the girls can do their hair, how the guys should do their hair, mm-hmm. how the girls should dress, how the guys should dress. The My Call Project is all about, like, redefining terms like femininity, beauty, and then identifying blackness or defining it on your own terms, mm-hmm. right? So in that moment i didn't i didn't feel like very feminine i didn't want to wear a dress like they suggested i i didn't know how to straighten my hair or like Mm -hmm. what kind of hair they wanted me to have in the 70s whereas they were saying the girls just like you know put your hair up in like two ponytails my hair you Mm -hmm. know it didn't do that i had a weave at the time it wasn't even if i did do that it it would make no sense right like there was no suggestion like oh like you know, wear fro, like do something like that. Like mm-hmm. that was never an option for me. Right. So I left the hair costume shenanigans, <laughs> went to my car, cried, mm. um, and then I quit the play. <laughs> oh, that's
0: a horror. That's horrible. <laughs> that's just... <laughs> Oh my gosh! okay well so- <laughs> I'm very sorry that that i mean, but that's i i mean i get it i i understand i i and especially
1: if it wasn't something for me that's like <laughs> I'm passionate about right that. and
0: okay. so why why go through that extra effort? why put yourself through that?
1: what advice if I have the level of passion that you have with acting mm-hmm. and telling stories um wanting to find my place right, mm-hmm. and there's me after like going through that 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 moment of like realizing this, like none of this is for me, Mm -hmm. right? I'm sitting in my car and I'm crying. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're right there next to me. Yeah. What advice would you have of giving me?
0: I mean, I say, you, you're. It's a play in the '60s. You go and look and figure out what black hair looked like in the '60s. What would your hair have looked like? So you go back in there and say, look, what you guys were talking about is not for me. There's no way that I can get there. You guys are on one road and I'm way over here on another one and the roads will not meet. Uh, but here I have these solutions to this problem. And it's not – and you know what? It shouldn't be your responsibility. They, it, it shouldn't have to be your job. It shouldn't have to fall on you to have to do more work than anybody else in order to just get to where they are. Um, but, I mean, it's the thing that people always say. You have to work twice as hard um, to get just as far and be twice as good to get just what they get. Um, and that has always really resonated with me. So sometimes it is the fact of you have to do the extra work. I, in that moment I say, okay, your hair isn't going to look like that. They said that they gave you all these options and none of them were for you. So what would your hair have looked like? And then you go back in and say, this is what I can do. Because sometimes you just have to make it easy, you know. And I, it's easy, it's it would be easy to get – it is easy to get mad, to get upset, to be hurt. Um, and it is valid and you have every reason to feel those things. And I feel them all the time. But they don't serve – you know, that, that doesn't serve you. That won't get you – any further, it won't it won't fix the problem, you know, when you're crying in your car and the choice is walk away or do do a little more work and go back in and say, I I've, I've fixed it for you. I figured out how we're going to do this. Um, make that choice because then you get to be in the play. You get to you get to do the thing that, you know, if you are the person that's passionate about that, you get to follow your passion. You get to. Um, in the end, have a wonderful time and do this great work. I love the work that I do. I love getting to tell stories, and sometimes that means that I have to I have to work a little harder i have to take I have to take a couple extra steps to get to the place that I want to be but once but once I get there, I'm never upset that I did it. You shouldn't have to work that much harder. You shouldn't have to put in that much effort, but the fact of the matter is we do, and the sooner if i you know the sooner you make peace with that and the sooner you accept it. And you can fight on the other side to say to still say, "I shouldn't have to do it, but in the interim, you still have to do it. You still have to work twice as hard
1: what what do you think is the importance of this work, what we're doing, having these conversations, pulling on topics like acting in relation to like opposite topics, mm-hmm. just like about sports or anything mm-hmm. right I mean I think it's I think uh,
0: I'm so, 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 so proud of you um, for all the work that you've been doing. And I think the great thing about the My Colorful Nana project is that you've got people of all different walks of life, not just black women, not just black people looking at this issue, talking about this issue in a way that is not really done in the grand scheme of things on a large scale. There's not... Um, there 's not a platform like this i that i 've that i 've come across, and there wasn 't a platform like this when we were younger. I think you know if I had heard more people and not and not just black people, I think that it 's so important that you have people of other ethnicities you have uh not just female identifying people because if the world makes you feel like for me, you know, if the world makes you feel like you're not beautiful or the world makes you feel like what you've got isn't beautiful, even if you're working so hard to love yourself, that's hard. That's a lot of that's a lot of pressure. that's a lot of um that's a lot of pressure on you. I think it 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 makes a difference to have people talking about about your situation, people thinking about your situation, people seeing it a new light. um so to have white people talking about black hair. Is a big in a in a positive way and in an inquisitive way and not in a judgmental way is so important. I you know I wish that when I was younger there would have been more people that were interested as opposed to just you know I think because sometimes it feels like just a a base curiosity like you know that they want to <laughs> pet you or or look at you you feel like a thing yes you feel. um, like you're a, a material possession that people can touch and feel the, um, they feel like they have the ability to question and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, to be able to talk about it in depth and really bring a light to the fact that we're different, but it's just, at the end of the day, it, people say it's just hair, it's not that big of a deal. But for a little black girl who sees nothing around her but different, sees nothing about, around her but what looks like ease and what looks like, you know, light and fun for me it was just like that looks like so much that just looks easier but easier doesn't have to be better um and you can also find an easy way to work with what you've got to love what you've got so I think it's I think it's so important that you have people talking about it and that you have people learning about it um in a way that they can take forward out into the world and incorporate into their own lives with the people of color in their lives and with the people, with other white people in their lives and say, okay, well, but listen, this is what I've learned. This is, this is the things that I've, I've, I can now bring to you. And hopefully the next time you interact with a person about black hair, you're able to have a little more of a, um, informed perspective.
1: Thank you so much for being here, Jordan. It means so much to all of us. Um, I'm sure everyone who's out there and of course me, um, to all of you, thank you for thinking generously and I hope to see you next month.